Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Post 20 Podcast. You're now listening to episode 185 of the show. My name is Evan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Matt. What's going on? Another uh, another solid weekend weather-wise. and just chill down here where we are, but Prem-wise, depressing. Uh, yeah. feel, feel like a mid, mid-table club. Teams below us are now, in my mind, slowly creeping up on us. Palace getting a... A second massive win under Roy, 2-0, are only six points behind us. So we might even drop further down the table because there's no, there's nothing besides the Champions League this week that uh, the, the, I guess the players find any importance in showing any value or effort <laughs> in their play. So, um, yeah, the, the, season, the season might get worse. Um, where we might slowly squeak down into like 13th. Well, Arsenal could lose the league as well, so it could get, also get worse for me. Um, this was not a good week for either of us, I don't think, in terms of individual fandom. Uh, how are records, is my question. Everybody went 5-5. Five and five. Five Right and down five. the middle, uh, Zach, Zach got saved by that late-minute uh, Liverpool equalizer. He had to draw in that game, so that saved him there. Yeah, okay. Um... I guess that I guess that could have gone worse for sure. Uh, I suppose we will just uh, jump into these games. Up first, we have Manchester United till ever two. What? What's till? Manchester United <laughs> two, Everton nil. A goal from Scotty McTominay, who actually showed up in this one in the thirty sixth, and a goal from Anthony Martial in the seventy first were the difference in this one. But overall, this was. Pretty much the the United that I was expecting to see uh, moving towards the end of the season with maybe the exclusion of Marcus Rashford scoring a goal. He was injured in this game, unfortunately. But um, yeah, 11 shots on target for United, 29 shots total, 65% possession. Uh, They did not ease off on Everton whatsoever. Just really, I thought, played with an intensity they don't normally have without uh, Casemiro. They were able to summon it up. They played really, really well, I thought. It was interesting to see um, Sabitzer sort of get bumped up a little bit into the attack. He kind of started around Cam, and then Fernandez was behind him. I would have figured that would be switched around, but it worked out. You know, Bruno ranges forward regardless. Uh, Sancho got a start. Anthony, I think, continues to look pretty average pretty pedestrian but overall a really good day from united everton not able to summon anything special here uh ellis sims got the start but him and damari gray didn't do enough uh on the attacking end only summoning one shot on target total yeah united are really uh congested with fixtures this month they have to play eight or nine games so we might be seeing players in different positions just to fill the gaps we know castamero still has I believe two more games to sit out in the um, for the FA, and I think Bruno playing next to McTominay was a bit different. Like you mentioned, we weren't used to, but McTominay's taking his opportunities well, getting a big goal here too. So he's trying to cement himself into into the future of the team under Ten Hag, and maybe trying to play alongside Casemiro there um, ahead of Fred, and maybe split time with Eriksen there. But yeah, the outside wings. Not too involved. Everton's point. Um, they never seemed like they're really in it. It seemed that they missed Ducore's size in the middle, going to just Onana and, and Gay um, and Awobi in there. Just wasn't the same. And as soon as they got that first goal in the first half, it seemed like everything died out. And it was just, it was level one there. United were in cruise control. And with the weekend of results that we had, it was it was a, a positive note for United to move into the Europa League this Thursday. Yeah, absolutely. All right, bring us in to Aston Villa 2, Nottingham Forest nil. Yeah, it seemed like Forest were in this for quite longer than we thought. Um, never really out of it until the 48th minute. Bertrand Traore again, second straight game now. He scores. Um would be nice if if we had that at Chelsea still, but um, it went Villa's way, and once again, Ollie Watkins on the score sheet again, netting netting his uh, what is that now? His twelfth of the season, so he's on firing. He's firing on form, slowly, well, not slowly, fastly increasing Villa's position in the league, sixth position 
on 47 points, only six points behind Tottenham there. Slowly creeping into a top four type of run if they keep up this momentum, but a lot, a lot of things can happen until then. So Villa positive there, they ride. Force continue to be ass on the road and put themselves in the 18th position where there's talks of Steve Cooper being the 13th manager to get sacked. Yeah. It, it's taken a while though, right? For there to even be like rumors that they're going to sack him. I feel like they've had way worse runs of form. Yeah, it's just this, the two straight games going on the road. You knew this wasn't going to be the best, and the Leeds one when they got the lead, it wasn't it wasn't pretty to see them lose it in the end. So I think they just have to really dig in and to have a little bit of extra time off now until their next game is gonna is gonna help, and um, we'll see how they do. I, I think who do they who do they play next? They play oh, they play home against United. So oh brother. Um, we'll see. It's all on that home home form, and we just saw with Liverpool what a what a home crowd can do to your form. Yeah, it, it's certainly important, and we'll get to the Liverpool thing. But um, I thought, you know, I thought Villa played really well. This is kind of what we've come to expect uh, of Villa against maybe the bottom half of the table. Typically, pretty measured. Uh, honestly, they're scoring more goals under Emery than than they probably did. Who was here before at the beginning of the season? Was it Gerard? Gerard. Yeah, it was Gerard. So that was kind of an issue. I don't think Villa looked very creative or even very toothy at any point under Gerard, really. Uh, it was just a, a case of mismanagement, I thought. Uh, and they've looked so much better and so much more composed under Unai Emery. Watkins is in form right now. Uh, it seems like maybe Bertrand Traore is actually rounding into form as well. I know he didn't get a start in this one, but he does have two goals in two games, only being given like, you know, a half each game to play. So that's a great thing uh, to have, you know, rounding out towards the end of the season. I don't feel aren't in any danger whatsoever. I mean, they're in sixth place uh, for fuck's sake, but you never know that they could be a team that that even jump one more spot up the table if Tottenham uh, falter a little bit or or United even for that matter falter a little bit. This like you can't rule anything out. And Villa, I think, have just had a really impressive season after a, a very poor start. Yeah, they have four straight wins now and seven game unbeaten streak right now. So they're they're one of those teams that are are hot right now. And anybody that's going to play them is going to have a tough time. Yeah, for sure. Okay, up next, Brentford 1, Newcastle 2. Man, I this one was sweaty for a while. Brentford uh, opened the scoring in the 41st minute with an Ivan Tony penalty. Uh, he's made so many penalties this year. He's a bit like Kane. They just score a ton of pens. David Raya with uh, an own goal in the 54th minute, and then Alexander Isak the goal for Newcastle in the 61st. Good to see Isak back. Uh, he's been back for a few weeks now, and he's been absolutely uh, fantastic for Newcastle. Setting up play, finishing, just been really, really good for them. Uh, and their goal-scoring struggles have sort of dropped off since he's been back in the side. So a tightly contested game here. Four shots on target for Newcastle, six shots on target for Brentford. Um, but Newcastle able to come from behind and win this one in, in pretty impressive fashion. Yeah, Brentford had every opportunity to yep. get off to a great start. The first penalty in uh, Tony's, uh, in a long time, I think a 22 straight makes and pens, and now Nick Pope saved the first. Yeah. Fortunate for him, he made that second to keep his confidence up because I don't know what would have happened if Pope saved that next one. Um, and yeah, Newcastle just keep rolling. They secure themselves that top four for another week, uh, keeping themselves ahead of Tottenham there and United, uh, ahead of United on goal differential itself. And Brentford now four straight games without a win, uh, that last one coming on the road to Southampton, and now puts them in a weird spot where uh, they're still in the race for Europe, but there's teams around them that are starting to pick up form, and uh, it's a little bit questionable there. And We'll see how they do moving forward. And Newcastle, it's just another week where they're proven doubters wrong and and continue to establish establish confidence in the team to secure top four, which they haven't done in, I think, like 20 years. Yeah, so, I mean, they're like basically... This is a new era, obviously, of Newcastle Football Club. I don't think uh, anybody is like super surprised that once they, they get a new owner and they spend a little bit of money 
that they're better, but I don't think anybody expected them to be this good because they really have been very, very good this season. Level on points with United, you know, it's a toss-up whether they finish in third or fourth probably. Um, but this this is impressive, I think, by pretty much every metric. They have been really, really good, and it's not like they went out and bought Mbappe and Neymar. Like, they, they've stuck with some players. They brought in a couple of guys that, you know, are really doing a job, Isak and Guimaraes. Um, But for the most part, you know, Newcastle have a run-of-the-mill team, and it's just been the management and the play that they're able to produce every week. Yeah, and if they can secure that top four, we're really, we're really going to see More what money, they're... Yeah. We're really going to see what their spending power and their reach is on players because um, slowly we're going to see the likes of Longstaff and uh, Jacob Murphy and maybe Dan Byrne, those types of guys, be slowly uh, pushed out of the team for better talent to compete in a Champions League run and also compete again for top four um, in the Premier League, which even the top six really struggle at times to do on a consistent basis. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, let's move into the next one, Matt Fulham nil, West Ham one. This game was definitely one of the worst ones. Uh, this was the one I didn't really see anything on. So last night I kind of watched throughout the match on on Peacock. I just went through the replay and s- skipped around a bit. Just that's the one thing I enjoyed is just skipping when it's out of bounds and all that. So it cuts down the watch time. But yeah, um, Fulham once again hold held seventy six percent of the possession. Um, but that was due to uh, own goal by Harrison Reed in the 23rd minute, kind of a, a floppy goal in itself. Bowen crosses it and just off the back calf and goes in. And from there on out, it was the same game plan West Ham had when they got that 1-0 lead over Southampton a week ago. Um, just all all in the back, secure the result. Doesn't matter how, just get it done. And Fulham without Mitrovic, we know we've been saying this throughout. It's just not the same. Whenever Vinicius got on the ball, his touch was diabolical. His link-up play was bad, and controlling the ball, um, being slipped into him, was hard to watch. So, Steve Cordova-Reed had form at the beginning of the year. He's dropped off. Willian has his moments. Him and Pereira link up sometimes, but they can't really do it all. Paulinha holds it down a bit, and Harrison Reed, when he's in these advanced positions, his touch is just a little bit off, and doesn't have that killer instinct to score from the midfield so and we saw Cedric Suarez get a rare start here on loan from Arsenal yeah and he didn't really do too much those got him and Robinson couldn't get up the field to secure much of the of any crosses or anything like that so uh very boring game keeps David Moyes alive again there's always every week there's talk of Moyes leaving but it seems like at this point he's going to stick it through and now they're three points above the drop with more games to come against similar opposition. So I think they just have it, what it takes to stay up at this point. And this is how it's going to be for them every week. It's it, get it, get a lead and hold it. Yeah. I mean, one nil, you'll take it. I know it's, it wasn't pretty. Uh, it wasn't pretty to watch either. I did watch, I watched the first half and then I watched clips from the second half, but it was just fucking sloppy, ugly. Uh, like Matt said, I, I feel like the touch, uh, going forward from literally everybody on the full, Fulham team, even William was just really poor, uh, lacked intent, I almost feel like. And then for West Ham, kind of the same thing, but they were lucky enough to get that own goal. Uh, and then they just sat on it. So I think West Ham have been doing a much better job within the last three, four weeks or so um, of sitting back and defending once they're able to nick a goal. That is exactly how you have to play if you want to stay up and it's looking ever more likely that uh, West Ham will be somewhat safe come the final two weeks of the season. I mean, there's plenty of time left for them to falter, but if this is the game plan moving forward, then I don't think uh, West Ham have as much to worry about as maybe some of the other teams down there, including Leicester City and Southampton, who continually just get fucking banged on. Um, Okay. Let's move on to Wolves 1, Chelsea 0. I'll actually let you do this one too. Yeah. Um, three managers now, Tuchel, Potter, and um, now Frank again, and it's still the same performance on the field. We went to that 4-3-3, which I thought we would. Um, didn't think Gallagher would get the start, but obviously they're saving Angolo for Wednesday's fixture against Madrid. We're going to need everything in our favor to get out of there with only maybe a 1-0 defeat at best. 
Sterling got a start, was a ghost. It seemed like he was still in Manchester. Um, Havertz is just really sad to watch. Felix can't really get involved with anybody on his own. Cucurella is one of the worst investments we've made in the last five years. For the price we paid, it's even worse. Up there with Kepa. Fofana did all right. Koulibaly did okay. I would have liked to see Badia Shield since he can't play in the Champions League, but whatever. Um, the involvement from James and Chilwa when he did come in was limited due to our formation and just there's no factor in our midfield to get any involvement in the attack to link anything anything down the middle. There was, I did talk about last time where we didn't really have any shot creations from down the middle. Felix contributed a, a pair of chances and uh, more than previous games, but still it was one of the worst games to watch. Um, Mateus Nunes got the lone goal in the 32nd minute. It was a nice strike debate on if Kepa could have saved it. Um, that's been the question all year, whether he makes all these saves or not. I mean, I've been out on Kepa since uh Sarri's time 18-19 when he wouldn't come out when he was getting subbed he decided to stay on his own terms and I mean just the guy is a piece of work um we'll see I hope hopefully we get to see Mendy play on Wednesday just to see what he's like in the team again but I don't know Wolves same type of deal with what like what West Ham did they got their lead and they just held it down Diego Costa did absolutely nothing, but yeah. got a nice applause from both sets of fans that were attending the match. And I thought we could get something with Ruben Neves out as well. Their midfield was right there for the taking, but it's just bare minimum guys that you think would be able to take people on one-on-one. -on -one. I see Crystal Palace score five goals over the weekend. They've been struggling <laughs> all year to score. Those guys are taking people on with confidence, and Mudrik seems afraid on the ball. Pulisic can't take two touches without tripping. Um, Havertz is Havertz and Sterling just fucked off so yeah really disappointing really frustrating and it's becoming reality and I mean I don't see how three months in the summer with whoever we get is going to change anything unless we gut half the team yeah I mean we we've already seen like I already saw this morning that United are set to sell off 13 players like I need we need to start hearing that kind of shit about Chelsea now. Because... We are. There's like a list of eight people. Oh, okay. There's like um, Gallagher. Um, who else? Kovacic. Pulisic. Aubameyang. Maybe, maybe one of the goalies for sure. Kepa. Or... Oh, hopefully Kepa. Um, Chilwell did just sign a two-year extension to 2027. So I think we're going to see, uh, obviously, maybe Loftus-Cheek. Zachariah is leaving on half of it from his loan. Yeah, I think minimum we're gonna lose. We're gonna get rid of five people, whether it's people ending loans or being sold on. But I don't see it being like when when um Abramovich first came in and we gutted half the team. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we're gonna see everybody leave, but we can't really make that decision until our new long term manager, whoever it is, signs, and then they can make a decision on who they want to keep and let go. Yeah, I mean, the more and more I watch Chelsea, like the more and more I just want to hate Kai Havertz, but it kind of sucks because watching Kai Havertz sort of develop uh, at Leverkusen, like he was so good. And even when he first came to Chelsea, like he was pretty decent. And then now he just, he struggles to score even the simplest of chances. They've continued to let him take the pens uh anytime there's a penalty it's like a 50 50 chance even which well i guess it always is theoretically but um it's just i don't know dude havertz is he's so off the pace his finishing has become so poor you guys are going to greatly benefit from getting in kunku uh into the team but the question is as it is really with all of these bundesliga strikers maybe outside of holland like they don't always pan out they don't they can't always deal with the physicality in the prem and sometimes they just get totally bottled up so you guys already tried a striper a striker from leipzig and he was fucking dog shit so hopefully uh and kunku's not the same way i think you guys will benefit greatly from him and if mudrick finishes it you know figures it out a little bit I think he could be, you know, a mainstay in the team as well. It's just a matter of these guys actually playing for something, having a fresh slate, 
uh, and maybe having somebody up top that they feel like can finish the ball. Because right now, I think a lot of your creative players probably have have worries, whether it's you know their outward worries or internal about passing the ball to Kai Havertz right now because it is it's harrowing. I mean, I've never seen a better time for him to leave with Tuchel at Bayern and Thomas Muller turning thirty five soon. I mean, he um, you know he'd go to Bayern and score like twenty five goals, right? That's fine. I don't care. He yeah. can go do that, and we can play him in the Champions League. That's fine. But it seems like with Felix, for the price we paid on his limited time here, he has to play. And yeah. it, every manager, it seems like Havertz has to play. Yeah. So it just leaves one open spot, and we brought in Sterling at the beginning, and he's a a, a Premier League veteran. He's won so many titles throughout with City, and he had a successful time with Liverpool there for a little bit. So, I mean... Ideally, he'd play. So these other guys coming off the bench have limited time and don't really feel like they have a place in this team currently. So I don't know how they get their form if they're not given the time. So I don't know what formation works with putting certain guys in this team. Um, That's up to Frank for the rest of the year to hash it out and figure out who's going to be able to stick it out here long term, who works with um, the future vision in the club. Maybe he needs to talk with the board and execs just so they have an idea of, like, from a on-the-pitch training ground perspective of, like, who's working for the club long-term and who's playing for the badge and who's just when times are down, they're just, they couldn't, they can't be asked. So, I don't know. Um, it's, I don't know. I just, it's just, just a lot. I don't think there's going to be any end result. I think it would be interesting if I mentioned if we get dragged further down the table what that means with the fans going to games, if games are going to be just hostile from the jump, from the jump. And I don't know, it's going to be an ugly, ugly rest of the year, especially if we get blown out on Wednesday. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Tottenham two, Brighton one, Sonny with his yearly scheduled banger in the 10th minute, unbelievable finish. Lewis Dunk then finished in the 34th to draw it level. It looked like for a while maybe Brighton uh, would walk away with at least a point, but Harry Kane had different plans. He scored in the 79th minute amongst the second half that was filled with some controversy, but I I didn't watch the entire game. I saw the goals. I, I looked them up after. There's, there was an apology issued, right, to Brighton? Yeah. Um, is Was it a missed pen or something? I saw that there was a penalty, that, like there was an appeal from VAR, but I didn't see what exactly happened. It was it involved Matoma, I know that, but... The fact Tottenham got anything out of this game yeah, it's, is I know. appalling. The, the VAR and the decisions on the field were so far against Brighton. It was insane with, um, what was it, Matoma's goal was VAR'd off. The, the um, what was it? Yeah, the the decision, the non-call on the field where Hoiberg stepped on Matoma and took him out, and there was no VAR decision or on-field call to be given for a pen to make an equalizer. Uh, it was just absolutely ridiculous, and yeah, the the FA or the um, the referees, FPA, whatever they're called, it just came out with an apology, which. Means fuck all. Yeah. I mean, there's been apologies for like four or five different clubs this year from what I saw, but I I don't know if you feel you have felt with Chelsea at all. Like you guys have been absolutely given just the shit under the stick, just completely raw or not. But Arsenal in the Brighton game or the Brentford game, like we got fucked and there was no apology, nothing. But that's kind of besides the point. I don't really give a fuck about the apology. How about you just make the right call in the first place? You have the option to just review it and make the right call. Like, there's nothing stopping you from calling out to whoever you have to call to, whoever's in the VAR booth, and say, no, look at it again. Look at it again. Look at it again. I know It doesn't matter because we've seen that happen sometimes already. And they're having to be at 17 minutes or whatever. Like in the Newcastle game that Arsenal played, there was like 18 minutes of added time. Like 
that shouldn't that shouldn't be an issue. If you have to keep looking at it to get the right call, fine. Don't rush the call and make the wrong decision. There should be nobody making the wrong decision according to the rules at all whatsoever. But it, it's it's happening constantly. It's just like what happened with the NFL when they introduced instant replay. It's shit. They should just fucking get rid of it. I'm tired of it. Yeah, it just adds another variable into the equation of people feeling hard done by and just feeling like things are against you. So Brighton have had issues all year with the. We also saw the double reds for the, the two head oh, coaches. Oh, yeah, they were brawling on the sideline. There was uh, apparently comments before the game of Stellini saying that um, a lot of Deserby's success was due to how Potter set up Brighton um, throughout the last couple of years and didn't really give him any credit. So Deserby felt disrespected and there were a bit of tension before the game and both coaches got sent off due to their co- not being able to control their coaching staffs because during the whole scuffle, Stellini just didn't even bother going anywhere near it and was shocked that he was getting a red. So to hear that reasoning, it makes more sense why they gave it to him. But yeah, I think that's Deserby's second red of the year too. Yeah, it is. He got sent off earlier this year too. But yeah, Harry Kane did Harry Kane things. He bags a winner and get another Spursy result for them to go four games unbeaten. Like I mentioned, they have a six point gap above sixth and Villa, and they keeps them right right there next to United and Newcastle, just put more pressure on them. Yeah, I mean, at least Tottenham are, like, showing up, you know. Uh, this is a cheesy win, but they do they, they are unbeaten in the last four. So to be where they're at right now, I don't think is terrible considering all the drama that's happened. Uh, two wins in their last four, the other two being draws. You know, it could be worse. Look at the... Look at the uh, the Liverpools and the, I guess, really, Brentford. Like, they're kind of in pretty decent form right now amidst all of the complete nightmare that's been going on there. So I guess yeah. maybe, like, slight hats off. They did kind of get, not kind of, but they did get lucky with the, uh, you know, the refereeing situation. But that kind yeah, of shit happens. Man. That's rubber the green. Yeah, and congrats on Sun. That was his 100th Premier League goal. To yeah, such a banger first. as well. Great, great first, goal. I think first Asian player to do that. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Maybe the only other player who would have gotten close was Yusung Park, probably. Maybe Matoma when his career is there. Oh, yeah, no. I mean in I mean in history. Like yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. Going far yeah, back. Matoma is for sure a good shout. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, okay, let's move on. Leicester City, nil, Bournemouth, one. You're up here after I slandered Philip Billing last week. Yeah, he's been the player of the year for them, getting the winner in the 40th minute due to James Madison handing them the three points. A bad pass back to the goalkeeper, Everson. And uh, he just billing intercepts and slots it in and says, thank you very much. Him and Gary O'Neill bagged the three points. That puts them in 15th, three points above the drop. Still not out of it, but they will take the points when they come here. And Leicester City... Again, start Jamie Vardy up there. He does barely anything. I think Harvey Barnes picked up a knock, yep. if I'm correct, in this game. So yeah, subbed off. The w- things get worse for the for them. Um, still no Tillemans. Uh, Dewsbury Hall should be back the next game. He served this one-match suspension for that double yellow. And uh, Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where this team goes. They were in line to get Jesse Marsh as their next manager. Now he's out of it, and they're yep. apparently... Dean Smith is the next man coming from Norwich. Yeah, so I don't really know how I feel about that, but I think Marsh would have been... Um, it would have been great to get him in and see what, what he'd be able to do, maybe keep them up. Um, cause I don't think they could agree. I don't think they agree no, they on could've... long-term issues. I think it was the same thing with Jesse going to... Um, it was Southampton, was it? wasn't it? Yeah, I think Southampton was the other place he was linked with, and they couldn't agree on the long term if they get relegated type of thing yeah well i mean that's yeah uh, i can see why as jesse marsh you wouldn't want to step into a job that you know maybe you're managing in a different league next year like i don't really blame him at yeah, all he said for the that. same thing with Leeds last year they came in with like 10 to 11 games left and maybe he won the same yeah. reassurance as he got in that deal yeah so totally fair 
Uh, ugly game, absolutely, but Philip Billing proved me wrong. Bournemouth getting a much-needed three points there. It's looking like right now three points clear of the drop in 15th place, level on points with West Ham and just one behind Wolves. So they round out the season with performances like this. They're probably going to achieve safety. Uh, okay, Southampton won. Manchester City four. Uh, Erling Holland back in action after a couple weeks off with a groin issue. Uh, scored in the 45th. Jack Grealish scored in the 58th. He's continued his immense form the last month or so. Uh, Holland scored again in the 68th. Uh, Seiko Mara, one of the young players for Southampton, was able to secure a goal in the 72nd, but Julian Alvarez stepped up in the 75th, converted a penalty, and that was it. 4-1, two city uh, domination. I think this is what everybody expected. Eight shots on target, 75% possession. City now with five wins in their last five, and Southampton in the gutter, just taking two points from their last possible 15. Yeah, you know it's dominance when, when Calvin Phillips is coming in. That's right. It's, yeah. um, they played John Stones again in that holding mid role with, with Rodri, and it seems like it's working well for them. Pep was commented, I think, coming at Kyle Walker a bit, not not being able to get into the team as regularly as he wants, maybe due to him maybe not being able to play in that position that Stones and Cancelo and Rico Lewis have been doing throughout the year. So bit of shade there. And Holland getting his 30th goal in the league now, 44th on the season in all comps. He's coming up to a milestone. I think that he broke the season record he beat Drogba's record I think he scored yeah. like 29 in his first season with Chelsea or something um, I don't know I think I, I'm entirely correct on that but I know Drogba scored 29 in one year so he already broke that he's already broken the record for um new player in the league to with a goal record so he's breaking all type of rec- types of records he's cementing himself for player of the season and that second hat that second goal overhead kick was just Placing on the cake for them and his partnership with with Grealish is just unbreakable almost with De Bruyne. I think De Bruyne could have had at least four assists in this game if guys finished the job. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of crazy to me like how much Jack Grealish has grown into this role because when the City first bought him, he looked kind of lazy, kind of just like not up to snuff, but he's he's become one of Pep's guys and he really is playing extremely well. He's been much more creative, I think, here with City than we've seen um, in his his younger career with Villa. Uh, more of a, you know, he was a, probably a better finisher then, just because he had to. Uh, but now that he's been able to drop back a little bit, play in the attacking midfield, and just service the ball to Holland, uh, it's like a different Jack Grealish. It's it's really really enjoyable to watch for me. I mean, I I've thoroughly uh, enjoyed his second or third coming out party, I guess, at this point, because he's had a couple of uh, resurgences already. Uh, but he's been really, really good for for uh, City, and I think he's one of those players that kind of maybe falls off a little bit in terms of appreciation when you look at some of the younger players in the team. Foden uh, comes to mind. You know, I don't really think Grealish and Foden are all that uh, far apart in terms of talent. I I might even give the uh, give the nod to Grealish. I really have enjoyed watching him this season. I think a lot of that had to do him just getting used to Manchester and sure. the whole system at Pep, and maybe it was more, maybe not so laziness in that as just getting used to the system and also shaking some nerves, be always being worried that his spot's gonna he's gonna lose his spot uh, because the te- the te- the team you mentioned Foden that's so talented, he anybody is replaceable. So, and and we even see that with Holland, they can get the job done without him um, in past years. And now with him, they, they do the same results. And Alvarez comes in, does better in the pep system than Holland does. So anybody's replaceable. He's on great form right now. There's always going to be a dip sooner or later, but he's on his high right now, having a, probably his best season in the Prem since coming up with Villa. So it's nice to see for him on a personal note. And for Southampton, they didn't really play the a coy kind of role they kind of tried to play city head-on open and it really cost them they just didn't have the whole the legs to last with them and eventually just got worn out so tough tough scenes there for them this really sets them back they're four points now from safety fortunate for them they have a lot of big games coming up against 
teams in this area. They've got Palace in their next one coming up. So uh, a team you probably don't want to face right now under Roy Hodgson, um, getting the best out of Eze and Elise, but they have to find a way. Yeah. Okay, up next, Leeds United 1, Crystal Palace 5. Absolute tale of two halves here. <laughs> yeah, dude, crazy. Um, watching this game when when the Bamford goal went in the 21st minute off a corner, Brendan Aronson getting a nice assist. Uh, it seemed like it was one of those days for Leeds, Palace struggling to score goals, even though uh, they had a big result on Hodgson's debut, 94th minute winner from Mateta. But things changed right before the half. They got an equalizer, Mark Gahey off a set piece which they've been dominant i think they said they've scored like a little over 40 percent of their goals have come from set pieces so an issue there from Leeds not seeing and analyzing their opponents and seeing where their chances come from there and taking proper uh taking proper what's the word um just getting getting their game plan right i guess what i'm trying yeah, to say precautions but, yeah the precautionary standard whatever and from there on out, it seemed like, I don't know what Hodgson's dead in the locker room, but the boys turned up right off the rip. Uh, Ayu in the 53rd, 55th from Eze, both assisted by Elise. Edward on a counterattack from Elise again. I think they said that's the first ever hat-trick of assists from a player 21 or younger in the league since Saka or somebody. Yeah. Or he's got just as many goal contributions. Um or he's right behind Saka for players under 21 in the league. So he's been turning it up since uh, Vieira's left. And even when he was here, he was lighting it up. And they got the fifth from IU, assisted by Will Hughes. So uh, an odd day there. You never would have thought Palace would score five goals. And it's just frustrating because they're all, they're leveling in goals four now with Chelsea with those five goals and only six points behind them as well, like I mentioned. So... Are are you surprised how well Roy Hodgson has done in these two games? They've scored seven goals, and they've won two games, one in the 94th, and they just blown out leads. Kind of, yeah, but at the same time, like Hodgson has kind of made a career, like at least towards the latter half of his, latter half of his career, of yeah. coming in and just like somehow riling teams up and getting them to perform well enough to achieve safety, and then he just walks out the door at the end of the season. He's kind of like a drop zone hitman. And that part, like, no, it doesn't surprise me that Palace are playing better. But they're playing, like, they're, like, totally flipped it around. I, I haven't seen Palace score five goals all season. I can't even tell you the last time I've seen Palace score five goals in general, like, across the last 10 years. So, uh, yeah, I'm a bit surprised that they've absolutely erupted. Seven goals in two games is like what Arsenal are scoring or what City are scoring. It's crazy stuff. And they're getting performances from all over. I mean, Quay, he's a center back. He scored. As a midfield scored. Strikers scored. I use that on the wings. Everybody is just gelling. Everybody is absolutely uh, erupting in unison. And Leeds just could not handle it whatsoever. So... Uh, you can color me, I guess, pleasantly surprised uh, at this new look palace over the last couple of weeks. But yeah, it's it's certainly interesting to watch. Like Palace are a team that I uh, kind of enjoy watching, especially did it earlier on in the season. And their their dire run of form there in the middle after the new year kicked off uh, was tough. So glad to see uh, Palace, you know, moving and grooving again. I'm I'm a little bit su- surprised that you know, after exhuming Roy Hodgson, uh, that he'd get them ripping five goals. But I I don't know. It it happened. Yeah, in in his first two games in charge, he's already earned more points than Vieira did in in the whole of 2023. So, yeah, um, another another point is, as they getting back in the starting lineup, him and Alyssa just link up so well. And they did this without Wolf Zaha in the team, and he's set to miss a few weeks. Yeah. I know he's he's out with the groin situation, right? Yeah, Still. They're, they're saying it was worse than they thought, so it's a, a a few weeks at least. And I mean, they made it through that rough patch. I think they had one of the toughest runs there um, under in twenty twenty three. They played a lot of the top half teams, and now most of their games are against teams below them. And we've already seen what they can do against the first two here. 
and it seems like they're pretty pretty safe to say they're gonna stay up i think another win and maybe a point or two here keeps them up i think the target's like 37 38 points keeps you up yeah so i it's possible it's totally possible um yeah hodgson's really got them buzzing okay up next uh this was for sure the game of the weekend looked like uh it was gonna be a really happy monday recording for me and wound up being something not quite uh arsenal two liverpool two gabriel martinelli in the eighth minute jesus in the 28th and then mo salah in the 42nd and firmino in the 87th this is one of those games just like we just talked about which was a tale of two halves i mean arsenal looked absolutely dominant in the first half completely defanged liverpool at home scored two goals in like you know, half an hour right in front of the cop uh, and just erupted. They were so, so good in the first half. Completely outplayed Liverpool on the flanks, made TAA and Robbo both look like clowns defensively. And then the halftime whistle blew. Uh, Liverpool started off much better. They got a penalty. On It was a soft penalty. Ball didn't lie. Salah missed the pen. But then in the 42nd minute, the ball was worked uh, across the mouth of the goal, an absolutely lovely uh, sort of Ronaldo chop back heel pass from um, Curtis Jones across to, I believe it was Jota. Jota won more to Salah. Great finish. And then in the 87th, uh, Roberto Firmino contorted his body and got his head on a ball I did not even think was possible. Scored there uh, despite Ramsdale standing on his head for like the last 20 minutes of the game. Liverpool created, I think, 1.8 XG in the last 10 minutes of the game and probably more before that. Uh, it was an incredible offensive performance from Liverpool at the end. And Arsenal's defense just did not hold up at the end. I mean, Zinchenko got completely skinned by TAA. The cross that he put in was fantastic. Uh, and it's it's like, I, I, don't, I haven't seen Liverpool play a half of football this good in like all year long. And of course, it it happens against us. Yeah how how much do you? I I don't think I've seen a bigger season where home home field advantage mattered so much. I know, dude. For a team like Liverpool, where they earn almost a majority, if not more than they've was they've earned thirty one. Yeah, they've only earned thirteen points of their forty four on the road. So they've only lost one time at home this year. Um forget who that was against but it must still, have been city uh it might did they draw city i have to look that up as we're talking but yeah i mean my question to you i guess overall before we get into more nitty-gritty is is it disappoint are you on the more disappointed side of things yeah looking back of you were up two nil and you let things get away or you you kind of you kind of got fooled into the emotional side of things what maybe in with the Jaka TAA mess up there or oh, yeah. are you relieved that you left with the point with the missed penalty and Ramsdale having the performance of the year and making a pair of saves that potentially might be up for saves of the year no I mean I I think I'm more on the disappointed side because Arsenal actually had the game in the bag and we just kind of like eased off on the gas pedal not a ton of chances in the second half hardly any really and then the defense just lost their their fervor as well we were up two nil all you have to do is keep going or make the decision to sit back but you can't just pull Odegaard go to five in the back late and then like dick around with the ball it was just bad we let Liverpool have way too many chances. We didn't focus on holding any possession whatsoever. It was just sloppy. And that's the kind of thing, like, when Xhaka gets in that bust up with TAA, shit that doesn't need to happen. You don't need to rile up another team that way. And it's, to be fair, it's the first time in a while that Xhaka's done that. But uh, they just lit the fire under Liverpool and... Yeah, they the they fucking that, woke up. It set, it set the fans off. You cannot there. fucking do that at Anfield. You can do it pretty much anywhere else. You can do it at the Etihad. They don't have real fans. Liverpool, no matter how much I hate them, have the most passionate fucking freak fans. And you cannot do it there. And they did it. And they paid the price because a point from that fixture being up 2-0 
is not enough. City just battered Southampton. They're, I don't know, what, five points behind us with a game in hand? Six. Six points behind us with a game in hand, and we have to play them? That puts us 73-73 and 73 if we lose another game or we lose the game against City. Uh, yeah, it'll come down to goal difference. It's going to come down to GD, and our GD is not as good as City's. So, like, I don't know, dude. It, that is not good. The, the, the one point... I told myself on the day, like, one point at Anfield, it's not the end of the world. And it's not the end of the world. But Arsenal cannot make another misstep. Even if we lose the game against City, there might still be a chance that we win. But we have to pray that whenever that game, that Brighton versus Man City gets rescheduled, that Brighton take a point or Brighton beat them. Because it's now it's looking dire again. Yeah, Liverpool have only lost twice at home this year in all comps. Yeah, in the in the league they lost to Leeds, and then and they got smoked by Madrid. Madrid, yeah. So it's a hard place to go, and to get a point was massive. And it almost seemed like it was a different type of night there with the result they got because a few days ago they, or I guess last week, as of work as of recording for them, just the performance they put on against Chelsea was miles from this one i know um it's just obviously a lot of their starters weren't in that in that team from the jump Salah van dyke the fullback so um everybody played a part there for them and i think tiago made a big impact too yeah he was good you saw what they missed with that his passing range in there too so um what do you think about maybe maybe being a bit critical of mikel is the substitutions he took off Odegaard. Yeah, that one I don't, I don't know about that up one. 2-1 with, when did they get taken out? They came out in the 80th minute. You're up 2-1, going more defensive. He puts in Trossard and Kier, the Polish center back. You go to a five back there. Um, do you think that was the right idea to just hold it down, all the momentum's against you, just try to play a safe card there, or... Do you think maybe them pushing and pushing the best way to beat Liverpool is to catch them out from behind? Oh yeah, I think you have to keep the pressure on. Like doing that, you're showing. And it's I know, ballsy, th- I know that this is weird. Field. No, it is. It is ballsy. Like it's okay. It's not like we lost the game. It's okay right. that Mikel's like making those. I don't even know if it's a mistake. It's a decision, right? He made a it's decision. A, it's very, very particular. I mean, he's yeah. done a great job so far, and yeah, you mentioned already. Um, you're up six points still, and I don't see both you and City winning out the rest of the year. I definitely oh. see both sides dropping points somewhere um, because everybody has their off days. We've seen this. I mean, both you guys have dropped multiple results at times against yeah. teams that you never would have thought you would have. So um, we'll see. Um, I guess my last question would be if this situation happens at City because that matchup end of the month is at Manchester, do you think – a similar thing happens with the fans there or you already mentioned like they have no fans no like i don't i don't worry about it there because they're i don't know what it is there is truly i've said it on this show so many times like there is something extremely scary about playing at anfield that i think scares the players too uh it's very rare that you see liverpool don't you know they don't show up or they're not spurred on enough by their fans to get a result at home it's it's extremely rare. City, like we've scored there, we've gone up, we've played them tightly before. Um, we've had some heartbreak there at the Etihad too. But I just don't think that I think those players are more loyal to Pep and their system than they are to the fans. And I don't I don't worry about the fan aspect uh as much. You know what I mean? It's it's known as it's a good it's a very good environment for football like for from what i can tell i've watched actually a lot of um i watch a lot of stadium tours and i've seen a lot about the etihad it's a beautiful facility but yeah it's not as grimy and grungy and dirty uh and just important yeah, modern, to the fans stadium, yeah. as like anfield is i i would compare it to like sofi right yeah exactly it's a little bit um the pa- let's say the passion's been sucked out a little bit, right? Uh, yeah. The amenities are what matter at that stadium. I don't worry um, about the culture at Manchester City uh, impacting Arsenal players as much as the the culture and the fans impacted us at 
uh, at Anfield. So I think that the boys have to get ready for that game. It's extremely important. It's not that far away now either. Uh, we got to go out there and beat them because if we beat them, you can stick a fork in them. It, you know, it's it's very very important. Yeah, City have only dropped points twice at home this year in the league. They lost to Brentford right before the World Cup break, and they they drew against Everton there right after the break. So, yeah, it is possible, but you have to be on your your A game. Yeah, we absolutely do. So that's all for Liverpool and Arsenal. A uh, tough way to end the week, but. Pretty good, I'd say, football overall. A lot of goals were scored. A lot of enjoyment had. Um, would you care to explain how we're going to do picks this week? Because I don't, we're not going to do them on the show. Yes, yeah, so saving a little bit of time here, but also um, the games, we're recording this on the Monday before the games, and the games aren't until Saturday. So we're going to give ourselves a little bit of time. There may be injuries middle week with um, teams playing in Europe. Uh, there may be training injuries too. So we're going to post our picks on the Instagram on Friday. So the games we got on Saturday, Sunday, and there's a Monday game too. I think that's Leeds-Liverpool. So we're going to give ourselves a bit of time there to digest some stuff and hear some information as it, as it comes. And there might be a manager sacking, you never know too. So we'll see. <laughs> or, or a new manager hiring with Leicester with Dean Smith potentially being the guy there. But yeah, that's how we're going to do it. And then... um I don't, yeah, there's, yeah, it'll be like that. I don't know if we're going to do this next week too because there's no midweek fixtures next week either. Yeah, so we'll have to figure it out, but that's how it's going to go this week. Uh, guys, thank you so much for listening. Make sure you check us out on social media at Post20Pod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find all past episodes of the show on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, keep your eyes Ooh. peeled for what's up. Uh, no, you, uh, you can keep going. I was going to say some at the end. Okay. Uh, keep your eyes peeled for all of our new content as well. We did a pod special last week about Tottenham, what's going on there, and what's been going on there over the last decade or so. So uh, if you haven't seen that yet, go check it out. Um, and, yeah, that's all for me. Go ahead, Matt. I was just going to say congrats to Burnley. They secured the, yes. the title down there in the championship. So we're going to see Burnley back up under Vincent Company now, completely different side. Um, and then also Wrexham got a massive result today to secure a very a very big pole position in the non non league fifth tier. So it, one step closer to getting back in the English professional tier. Yeah, so fantastic! Congratulations to both of those teams. Uh, I'm excited to see Burnley back up next year. It'll it'll be interesting, uh, especially because we'll have Vincent Company squaring up against uh, you know Pep and his old. A lot of his old city teammates, honestly, yeah. uh, next season. That'll be cool. Yeah, they already got blown out in the FA Cup. So, yeah. you know, City city, and Burnley have a deep history of Man City pumping them. But yeah, they it's, do. It's a new Burnley. It's not the rugged Sean Dyche. It's free-flowing company ball. Yeah, which we love to see. Uh, okay, guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.